Hey, what's going on, guys? Hopefully everyone's doing well. Get started in a minute. I'll just share the link again on Twitter. Some of you may be uh, joining after watching the stream. I tend to notice that Tuesday streams are a little bit lackluster. Maybe it's just because coming up the weekend, and uh, it's not like there's crazy development at the beginning of the week. Um, equities are... I mean, it started off uh, in the green and in the red and now back up, um, you know, but it's a, it's a CPI week. So it's not like, a, it's not like there's really anything that I, I can't imagine much uh, significant positioning <clears throat> until after that, you know, imagine how you are sort of anticipating uh, events and how you're positioning and now just extrapolate that across most of the market. And that applies to the, you know, the big guys as well. So um, give it a second. Give another minute for people to hop in. Uh, shout outs to the team at Colin for uh, bringing me on and making me part of this. It's a great platform available on every uh, major platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Um, maybe it's iTunes Podcasts. I don't know. Uh, I got rid of my podcast, my Apple podcasts on my phone because I didn't realize I was uh, downloading them automatically and it took up a ton of space. But anyway, uh, on I- Android, on iPhone, available across the board. Let me just make sure that I have the adequate amount of battery life on my phone because there was one call in where actually I didn't check that. I had uh, I was outside doing the call in and... Lo and behold, my phone died towards the end of it. All right. Anyway, we'll get started. Um, Tuesday, 2.30, Thursday, 2.30, Friday, uh, 1 p.m. Do call-ins, consistent schedule. And uh, the Tuesday and Thursdays are short, so this is only going to be 30 minutes long. So we'll go to right around uh, 3.10. So just be mindful of everybody else, uh, people that want to, you know, hop on and talk. Friday will be the first stream where or the first call in where I will open it up. So in the beginning, because they're longer uh, and I think it'd be better for participation in the beginning of Friday, I'll say, Hey, who wants to talk? I'll make everyone who elects to uh, be a speaker. I'll make them a speaker. And then we could have basically uh, an open discussion to wrap up the week. And I think that'd be a, a nice change from what we've, what I've consistently done. Um, yeah. So for, for those of you that just hopped on, we are uh, back within the center of a range. Looks like right now we're making an attempt to recover a gap that we put in on the way down. You know, the entire story for the last six months has been gap hard in one direction, get a bunch of people excited, participation through the roof, you know, open interest is up, um, a ton of risk is tagged on, and then the market reverses course and is puke and then puke and then puke, one direction or the other, right? So up, down, up, down, a bunch of barts. Um, and needless to say, it's really easy to assume continuation after any one of those because they are intense, right? And you think, especially when you're in a market that's in a bear market, um, it's been moving down really strongly, right? So we had, what, 10 or 9 you know, uh, successive red candles in a row. Uh, and then you have a big up move that looks like maybe it's a change, right? Maybe we're outside the range now. We're looking finally at some more relief. And then that up move that was you know, large, um, is uh, completely engulfed, right, in a short amount of time. So it's like, okay, well, I thought that was strong, but clearly it's not because someone just came into the market and sold a ton. Um, so you think 
very easily that you should just more or less extend from that. And, you know, that the, the short is a given essentially at that point. But then what we've done is we just accept back in the gap. It's unchallenged positioning, right? On the way down, it was really easy to short into a gap when you know there's going to be no resistance uh, or no support until the next major level. And then because of that, when those participants are tested, the market recovers and closes out that gap. And we do it over and over and over again until the gaps get tinier, until we're more along the center. And then, you know, maybe we get some kind of expansion. Um, not a whole lot to talk about, honestly. So price is back within the range. Who knows what we'll get. CPI this Thursday, maybe touch on that. Uh, and then also more important recently, the crypto bill, which came out today. Um, I'm not a... I cannot provide any legal advice, not even a good TLDR, but there's a bunch of people on Twitter that have. One of them is Jake Shervinsky. He is a, he is originally, uh, I believe he was a lawyer, but now he's part of, I think he's, he is sitting right now as the head of policy at Blockchain Association, and he's an advisor for Variant. But um, he provided a, a pretty good TLDR. You know, this is not really that bad of a bill. It, it favors Bitcoin, though, right? So it favors Bitcoin. There's a lot of uh, poor interpretations of the initial bill when, it, bill when it came out, something along the lines of, you know, specifically with DAOs, like DAOs have to register at the state level. That's not true. That that allows DAOs to have certain tax permissions and for it, I guess, not for it to not necessarily fall on the individuals in the DAO. Um, but there's a lot of honestly good things that <clears throat> that are in the bill. Uh, you know, honestly, this is the one thing that I was thinking of. If there's probably a ton of cryptos that fall under the category of commodities, and one thing that would be interesting to see, and then I'll open it up, um, is whether or not we get the commodity tax benefits. So you don't trade commodities, you trade commodity futures. Like no one's really trading gold, they're trading gold futures. And no one's really trading oil, you're trading oil futures. So when you talk about tax benefits to commodity traders, it's applying to people who are trading futures. So if, if Bitcoin falls under the category of, you know, a commodity, which it clearly does, and, and more along the lines of everything else, what, what else is going to? It's, I'm curious to see if we're going to get the 60-40 tax split. So this is in particular, this, is, this has to do with people who live in the United States. So what that means is that your profits are 60% of them are taxed at long-term rate, which is capped, you know, 15, uh, I think it's 15%, honestly, for the commodity breakdown, whereas like if you're if you're long to, your long term rate at as an individual level can vary, it could be like fifteen to twenty, and then forty percent of the profits are taxed at a short term rate, so it's you know that's your income bracket. So that could be anywhere from eighteen percent to you know thirty seven percent at the federal level, um, and that's without state, obviously, right? So that that would be really that'd be great, right? Imagine that you're trading. At this point, Bitcoin is, you know, it's it's classified as a commodity. Now, it's hard to say, you know, you know, when you're talking about trading Bitcoin futures, because we're talking about most people trading on exchanges that are outside of the United States, right? You know, trading on FEMAX, trading on Bybit, trading on FTX, trading on BitMEX, trading on Binance. So, I don't know. It's an interesting point, right? Um, as this market gets more regulated and more ingrained with the financial and, you know, current financial system, we could see some benefits that come from that, right? You know, certain protections, for example, certain investor protections. Obviously, a lot of those protections end up being things that hurt investors. There's a lot of things that are supposed to protect investors, but don't. Um, but, you know, maybe we get some favorable uh, outcomes as well. At least, if anything, it'd be nice to just have more clarity, right? Especially for anyone who's part of a project, uh, 
and the likes. Anyway, I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, I'll open it up right now, rather. So we go on. we got 30 minutes on the clock. We'll go to 3 now. We'll go to 3.15. So anyone wants to hop on, some familiar faces. Dodonna and Christopher. So I bet you guys will be willing to do Friday's open discussion. Let me get Dodonna on here first. What's up, buddy? What's up, brother? How you doing? Good, man. Good. Um, I just had a yeah, quick random question. Um, I've had uh, basically experienced trading for like three or four years, but I'm now wondering about algo trading. Do you have any experience with that? Is it you know something that's viable for one person to do? Is it what, what's your what's like? I guess what's the lowdown on that? I mean, it's absolutely viable for one person to do, but I think like the more important question is, are you, do you have, are you someone with a programming background? Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of like automated strategies in this market that you could put together through some basic tools that because this market is, you know, when the market is very momentum driven, you could get away with certain really, you know, very basic automated strategies that involve like crossovers and honestly stuff that's available on TradingView. For the longest time, things that were very basic, that were didn't require much programming at all, and you could use like a third-party routing um, provider, like where there's there's a couple uh, there's a couple uh, websites that are available, honestly, and platforms where you could actually create your own algo, and then it'll connect through your exchange through API. There's one of them that connects right through TradingView and uses like TradingView alerts based on the indicators. Now these things are being the edge in these are being eroded because, you know, it might look like the, let's say we're just doing like a 13, 21 crossover, uh, you know, on the, on the one hour or 30 minute chart, you might look at that visually with just an eye test and say like, wow, that looks like it works phenomenally. Uh Um, And then you might run a back test on it in PineScript and see like, oh yeah, this thing is, you know, it's positive in the long run. But that completely leaves out like the conditions of the, the market when that signal's given, you know, whether or not you're able to execute without much slippage, whether you're able to get in and get out of position appropriately. Like it doesn't take, it's, it's as though it's kind of trading in a vacuum. It leaves out a complete, you know, all the microstructure that goes into getting in and out of position. So those things tend to like look good until you actually try to run them live. And then you realize like, Oh no, it's too good to be true for a reason. Like that doesn't work. Um, but that's like base level stuff that used to work. People used to just create indicators and sell them and yeah, stuff worked, but it doesn't work anymore. I don't think unless you're really, unless you're a guy who has a background in trading and actually understands how to create algos. Um, And I, the people that I know, uh, like I've, it's gone from me watching over the last six years, people create really stupid algos that work. Um, Like I said, things that literally are like, plug and play indicators from TradingView available to anybody to now the people that are algo traders and are quant so-and-so are like super high level, like stuff where I'm like, Oh, okay. It doesn't make sense that I even got involved in Python because this is mild. Like it would take me years to even have an understanding of, of this. Um, so unless you have a background in like computer science programming, it'd be very difficult to, uh, you know, to, to get involved. That doesn't mean like you can't find some kind of, crazy nuance that you can't take advantage of mechanically or systematically. Um, but, you know, like I said, like that it's, it's really fierce competition. So. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think I was, that's more what I was getting at is the, uh, 
simple sort of plug and play um i'll go you know i'll go trading but um yeah i mean i feel like uh when you're looking at charts and you know your eyes wander and you try and see certain patterns like oh, I've, i lost you have you ever dabbled with any of that or no oh yeah i did so back in 2018 to 2019 uh even i think early into 2020 um, I had a basic, I had a couple basic indicators that I put together myself and, and with the help of some people that are actually more proficient than myself. Um, and they were giving me just kind of signals for confluence, but it was a combination of, of things that I acted on. And then I actually had something that was routed through, I had one that was routed through TradingView. So I got to find out the name of it. It's, uh, it's it, it allows you to create algos with PineScript. So all the indicators on TradingView are written in PineScript. So, you know, it doesn't, PineScript is not something that's terribly difficult to devote a couple months to and, and be semi-proficient in. Um, but I had something that I called alpha trend. It's funny because everyone who creates a trend following a systematic um, uh, trading algo creates it, calls it alpha trend, like as if that's original. But it was, it was very simple stuff. And it back-tested phenomenally. Um, I ran it live. Trying to scale up with it completely eroded the edge. Um, and then, like I said, like it, it required almost like the perfect hindsight conditions. Like you looked at it up to the point of, of running it and it was like, oh, this worked great. But you're looking at, you know, a market that trended for four or five months prior. And it's like, well, everything worked well there. There was trend following. So... Yeah, I've messed around. I haven't done anything like that in a while. I took a, like, I got pretty heavy into Python for like a year. I took uh, three courses. I was interested in, in, in progressing, but honestly, what I realized, it was like, I'm not going to become an algo trader. I've been a discretionary manual guy for now over a decade. Um, I'm not going to try to fool myself and think that that's the way my, like, I, I'm not that kind of brain. Like I, I could see patterns and nuance, but for me to think that I'd be able to see them and then in a, an amount of time, be able to write something and, and be able to develop myself and programming to be able to write something and, and create something. It was just like this, I'm better off spending my energy towards honestly paying someone to do that for me or, you know, um, you know, just not doing that at all because I, st I stepped away from it. Like programming is like anything. It's like, like I bought a guitar again and I've been playing the guitar every day. But if I step away for the guitar for a week, I'm like, I'm set back again, like a month. So programming, it's way more than that, you know? Uh, I can't hear you, so I don't know if you're muted. Cutting in and out. All right, hopefully that was... Uh, Efficient Adona. I'm going to take the next caller. If you want to hop on again, be my guest, of course. All right, Christopher. What's up, bud? How's it going, man? All good. Hope you're good also. Doing well, doing well. Thanks for asking. Yeah, so I have a question about efficiency in markets because, uh, like you said, we've just been going up, gapping up, and then we've been there for a little while and then going down. And like the last few weeks, it seems like the opening of the S&P, we drop down and then we continue up. And uh, 
Uh, on Mondays also seems like we've been dropping, and then on Tuesdays we've been green most of the days. So is there any? They say that markets are supposed to be efficient, right? But if the patterns keep on repeating them for some time, uh, how efficient are the market? And yeah, if you have any thoughts on no, there, like there, that. There's like always that camp of people that think markets are truly efficient. They're not. That's like, you know, Eugene Fama stuff. They're not. You know, they, they aim to be efficient. They they attempt to be efficient. Um, but they're they're not perfect at reflecting all available information. Right. So we see plenty of the fact that people are able to trade markets profitably, even though it's a small amount of people, you know, it's the same way that there's only a small amount of people that could play professional soccer. Right. But people actually can. Right. So the fact that there are people that are able to trade and pull edge, you know, pull alpha out of the market indicate by some way or another that the markets aren't perfectly efficient. Um, you know, they aim to be. But but you're dealing with people, you're dealing with algos that are programmed by people. And you're dealing with constantly changing, you know, dynamics outside of markets. And, you know, unless the future can be 100% predicted, you're always going to deal with uh, a level of inefficiency. Um, generally speaking, you know, we know that there's, a, you know, things that are more likely to be reflected, things that are known for a long time are generally, to be, you know, they're, they're more likely to be pr uh, priced in. But no, markets are, there's so many, like, for example, you were talking about the pattern that takes place. And this is this falls under the category of market microstructure, um, and it's not necessarily microstructure in terms of uh, in terms of like what takes place in the order book and the actual structure of, of the uh, depth of market, but patterns that exist throughout time. And there's plenty of them that they pop up for uh, you know they some of them pop up for a couple of weeks, some of them are you know prevalent for a couple of months, some of them are are uh, you know they are observable for, for usually you're not going to have things that are uh, patterns that are observable for years, but certain things do last a long time, whether it's like seasonality or whether it's, you know, something like, for example, the, I talked about this and this is highlighted also in uh, Brent Donnelly's book, Alpha Trader, the concept of a turnaround Tuesday, you know, for a while, which was a pretty predictable pattern where if you were to buy the futures close on Monday or rather buy market close on Monday overnight, in the futures and then sell Tuesday, it was a pretty positive EV trade to take. And it was because, you know, if it, the conditions were that if the market sold into Friday, opened up on Sunday and continued selling into Monday, that you'd get a, a short covering rally on Tuesday. And the idea was like, if the market is selling the week prior, <clears throat> um, the, the sellers that come in on Sunday and Monday are usually like panic sellers that are just kind of uh, extrapolating on what has already been the trend. Like uh, the week, you know, markets closed over the weekend. Yeah. Futures open, but there's no, like the markets have had, you know, time has passed. The people have had a chance to disseminate information. There's no real reason for the markets to pause and then open up again and then just continually nuke off on the same information that was, you know, the information from last week. So usually you'd get this pattern where if the market sold into the weekend, let's say Thursday, Friday, Futures open Sunday and you're still selling into Monday, after Monday's close, we would see a significant rally into Tuesday's cash session. And this is something that was that's like, you know, you could observe over a long period of time. Uh, and obviously there's times where it doesn't happen. But sure enough, you know, over a larger sample, it has been actionable. And this is, like you said, it's it's basically a pattern that 
by all means should be kind of scrubbed out of the market. But now, as you can imagine, like there are probably cases where more extreme data might yield a more positive result. Like if you had, you know, uh, a market that is again, selling off due to a catalyst, that might be something that's perceived differently than a market that's just selling off due to momentum. So yeah, markets are definitely not, they aim to be efficient. They are, for the most part, I would say they do a good job at, at efficiently pricing things in and reflecting information, but they definitely can't be completely efficient. Yeah, exactly. I was just thinking that also, but some people keep on saying that. Uh, you see the people always talking about, oh, we're going to come up to here when we feel this gap and this inefficiency on this candle, but it doesn't always do that, I suppose. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, well, patterns, maybe it's uh, just like you said, it just does it for a little while and then it continues to something else instead. But yeah. Right. Cheers for that. And uh, yeah, have a nice continuous day. You too, Christopher. Good talking to you. All right. Anyone else want to hop on? So we're kind of struggling in this gap right now. I mentioned that if we closed above 30, there might not be much stickiness for us to move back up. And we had one more rose single prints that begins at 32.84. I wouldn't be surprised if we get a little bit of push into that. So... And it'd be kind of a good area to, I mean, if you were looking to tag on a short, to be honest, it'd be better to tag on further up into those singles around the extreme of the singles that they go all the way back up to 30,006 uh, or like 30,500. Um, and that would actually be like the halfway point from the move high to low. So I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if we get a little bit more of a push, but this doesn't look like it necessarily has the fuel to squeeze all the way back through yet. So honestly, I expect like that we, we maybe we get a little bit more of a push towards 30,005. Maybe we die right here. Uh, but we end up coming back down to, to VWAP around uh, like 29, 29.7, 29.8 again. All right. It's Chris. Let me get you on here. Hey, what's going on? Hey. Thanks for bringing me up. Of course. I uh, was talking to someone the other night. I watched your stream earlier and I just had a question about like when you're looking at the perps open interest, kind of like in a scenario like this, right? And where it looks like open interest is still strong on perps, right? Someone was telling me that that's not bullish because that that's people just hedging against short positions to cover the funding. Is that accurate? So or did that even say, make sense? Well, when you say open it to strong, I don't know what you mean by strong. Do you mean when it's elevated? Um, I'm not even entirely sure what I'm looking at, but if I'm just pull up like, you know, BTC, USDT perps right now, and it's holding like a level, right? Where it doesn't look like it's dropping off a cliff right now, right? Yeah. So the open Am interest, I looking at the right thing? Would you is that accurate well, right now? I mean, if I'm looking at uh, so I'll look at Tether, uh, Bitcoin futures, perpetual open interest. Yeah, uh, and it's right around 85k. So 85. So you, is it? Are you, do you see like a number on the side? Yep. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm looking. At. I just have like the Binance chart up. But okay, um, so is yours say 85 or like right yep. around 85? Okay, so. The 
when it comes to open interest, it's just contracts open. It what I want to do for like any kind of positioning, if you're expecting a significant move, is you want to see, for example, like if you are looking for a bounce, you would want to see that open interest as we are going down was going up. If you're looking for some kind of short covering bounce, what we see right now is prices moving up, but open interest hasn't really gone up much at all. Um, so it's not like, you know, you could have one, you could have just hedges being opened here. So it's not like in excess of any kind of major value. Uh, but you don't have really anything that's trappy that's built up. I mean, I, I don't know how I would say that, you know, with the way you're describing it, saying that open interest was strong. I, I don't know if I could really um, understand gotcha. what, you, what you mean. No, by I don't. That. I really don't know what I'm looking at. I'm just trying to <laughs> learn. So, and then in this scenario where we're at right now, where like you know, in your stream, you're talking about that melt up. You feel like it just. It looks like it doesn't have quite enough gas or volume here to really, for like a an easy melt up. No, I mean a melt up. We could the what the thing is about melt ups. We could get a melt up that is not like like we see volume right now. It's it's not you know nothing that stands out. That's like very attractive about it. It's it's yeah. volumes are lower. Um, open interest is not really elevated but over the course of the structure it's kind of gradually gone up like if you look all the way back to the lows on the 12th it's kind of gradually gone up yeah. um but we've seen that every time there's a significant move there's a big pickup in open interest local to that and it's people getting caught off sides the melt-up can happen because we can have a move where you have to imagine like after a big drop like we've had a melt-up would be all the sideline money coming back into the market gradually. You know, that's one way we could get a melt up on just like low volume. You have someone that is absorbing below us. You know, if enough of the asks continue to get pulled and you have low volume coming in to buy, it's not like it takes much to move price if there's not a whole lot of supply overhead selling. So you gotcha. could get, I mean, we could absolutely get a melt up. I don't like, I, it doesn't, in my opinion, like pay to bet on one until we at least clear what has been giving us a lot of trouble lately which is clearly like the 32 level. Um, like until you clear anything like of that magnitude and you're back into a larger gap, like, I don't know, it's really, it's the markets right now are not strong. Like it's like very obvious they're not strong. So when people talk about a melt up right now, it's like, well, I mean, that's kind of hopeful because we're gotcha. struggling for the last couple of you know quarters. So. I guess I was just looking on that short time frame, just from like the daily gap down yesterday is what I was looking oh, at. Oh, you just mean through that gap? Yeah, just oh. on a real short time frame. Yeah, so when when I was during the stream, I mentioned thirty thousand, and the I wouldn't call it a melt up. It's just like there's nothing in the way of us right now. Yeah. The more time we spend in this gap, and it doesn't, it wouldn't take much to buy. It wouldn't take much volume, honestly, to take us through the gap because, like I said there's a lot of unchallenged positioning that was put in on the way down. Yeah. Um, up to like, not, say like 31 K. Yeah. So I know, like, I just think about how I was trading this last night, you know, price had already broken down and I was shorting into the hole because I'm just thinking, well, it, it doesn't, it hasn't reversed in the last six months until it covers the gap. So this might look late, but it's not, it's still early because we're not at the other end of the extreme yet. So once we start, you know, that positioning I was putting on, it was like, not really well defined at all. It's not like you could put a stop. Like there's no stop placement for it. It was, oh, if price comes back above my entry, I'm cutting and I'll wait till we break the low again, then I'll short again. But there, you have to imagine that there's 
probably a, a good amount of positioning that's maybe still holding on from that gap, right? Sellers that sold into that gap that once we start trading back in there, kind of like where we are right now, if we start moving higher, like there's, it's very easy for just short covering alone to take us from one side to the other again, where it's yeah. like, you didn't expect it, but suddenly it's like, fuck, we're all the way back at 31 again. Appreciate it. I didn't mean to take all that time, but thanks for no, uh, no worries, man. answering that. Of course. All right, I'll hang up. Appreciate it. Good talking to you, Chris. All right. Yeah, I was thinking uh, when he was saying melt up that he was talking about like a, a melt up, like we would talk about in the stock market or a melt up on the high time frame where suddenly we're just crawling back up to all time highs. Um, Rory, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going, man? Hey, how's it going? Uh, so I was in the I was the guy in your chat asking you about like portfolio growth and oh cool okay yeah and <laughs> it's not that I'm really like asking for a specific like set number that I should be aiming for but I'm just wondering when you started how did you like deal with uh, any percentage growth uh, let's say monthly on your portfolio um, you know is there like Let's say you're still winning every month, but it's so low. Like, does it even make it worth it? Or you, you know what I mean? I don't know if I'm. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, so the point, like, if I was to say how I started, we would have to go back and we would include some real survivorship. So when I started, like, it was a great opportunity to get involved in tech early, like in equities, for example. So forget just forget trading, because when I came to markets, I wasn't initially trading the way I am now. I was trading more of like a, you know, like a trend follower. Um, and that was a really favorable time. There was a period of like, you know, we went through a period of almost, you know, it was a, uh, almost a decade long plus bull market where if you got in early on plays like Facebook, Amazon, Apple, uh, you, you know, you, there's a good level of survivorship in looking back and saying, oh, how you grew your portfolio, because I mean, you, you really just hit a home run. You just hit a few home runs with some very uh, significant names. I would say when it comes to like, let's just stick with talking about trading, small growth in the beginning, like you should just, you should be happy that you are, you're winning, honestly, because you could iterate on that, right? Ideally, you just want to, you want to be able to identify that you have some kind of edge and at least just one, right? Because you could have many edges. You could have plenty of different approaches to the market and you might have certain mechanical setups that you repeatedly take. Your edge over time will probably be more nuanced and it'll be your, you know, your edge will be your ability to, to show discretion cut trades fast, to, to spot trends when they're beginning, to see patterns and, and setups as they occur, right? Rather than just looking for mechanical things to occur. Um, but you shouldn't be like, if you're seeing that you're able to, if you're seeing that you're able to return month over month, you know, a lot of the times what that is, is you might not be hitting those setups for, you might not be compounding enough, right? You might not be sizing up based on what you should be sizing up on. Like if you see that you have, repeatable results and you're, you know, let's say you're returning, you're returning in excess of the market, because that's important to understand. Like if you're just returning what the market is doing, well, then you're not really returning any alpha. You might as well just buy and hold. Um, but if you're seeing you're beating the market, like let's say, if, for example, we see that, you know, for the last couple months, Bitcoin is down such and such, but every month you've managed to return 5% net over that, then what are you doing to return that, right? Because whatever you're doing, you should look into sizing up behind that, right? If you see that you are consistently able to take certain trades that have predictable results, 
then the challenge is sizing up, which a lot of people struggle with because what you end up doing is you size up a lot initially and then you lose. And then you have to sort of find that, you know, that comfortable point again, where you're willing to add on more risk, but not enough, you know, not too much where you're panicking when you're in position and it goes against you. And obviously, you know, you have to be, you know, part of that means that you're going to have to be able to weather the losses that come anyway. Right. So you have to be able to take a ton of losses. So there is some limiting factor to how much you could size up to begin with, because you're never going to want to be able to be in a position where you're never going to want to put yourself in a position where you're at the risk of ruin. Um, so I think most importantly, though, like if you're returning a certain percent a week consistently or a certain percent a week monthly, and you're doing that, let's say, in these conditions, just hypothetically, because the markets have been moving down and sideways for the most part, then that's great because you have something that you could, you know, lean on, but you just have to figure out what that means for you. You know, what's, what you're comfortable doing when it comes to, 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 um, uh, putting more behind those, maybe those trades that you're taking. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. And it even like, you pretty much hit it with, uh, it's kind of the case with me right now. Like the last four months, I've just been journaling pretty meticulously and, um, you know, I've, I've had a, you know, uh, about a 7% growth in the last four months, but I feel like um, my win rate's at about 44%, but um, I'm not risking as much. Like, I'm very scared to risk more than, like, 2% in these conditions per trade. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know. I'm just – that's why I was just wondering, like, uh, I had no really point of reference of, like, oh, is that like, a good return or is that like, bad? Like, well, I mean, if you consider that you said the last seven months and in the last seven months, the market is down, you know, the market is down at that point, 30%. So if you're doing that, then yeah, absolutely. That's great. And that's one of the benefits of trading is that you're not exposed to the market, especially on the lower timeframes. You're not exposed to tail risk and, and these longer term periods where we have longer drawdowns like this. Um, and, but the most importantly is like you said, it is journaling. Because if you're not journaling, and what are you using to journal? Are you journaling freehand on your own? Uh, I actually just opened up like a Discord group that's just me and by myself in it. So okay. Kind of, it's easier to just post all the charts in there. Okay. So I don't feel like paying for like any. I know there's like journaling stuff out there. Um, yeah, I mean it, it's pretty much yeah freehand, but on the computer. I mean I could. So, you know. so what I would say is, you know, I know you don't want to pay for something yet, but eventually it's, it's probably great to use something like, um, a coin market man or a, um, I would actually stick to coin market man cause it's, it's, it's very cheap compared to some of the other, uh, API journals, but this will show you things that, you know, you might not be journaling on your own right now, like hourly performance, days of the week performance, you know, so you get a more, you know, specific idea of exactly how you're doing not only just your hit rate, how much you're returning, but, you know, specifically when the best times for your trading are, right? So you might be trading really poorly on the weekends, and then you might be able to say, like, if your hit rate is 40%, well, that's an area that you could probably eliminate itself if, like, let's say your most of your bad trading occurs on the weekend. Well, don't trade on the weekend, right? Um, and this might be something that <clears throat> it might be attractive to you, but, again, it does come at uh, cost. It's free, though, if you – if you set up a uh, account with like coin market man, yeah. if you sign up to an exchange through them, then they get your referral fee right. like Bybit or FTX or Binance or whatever exchange, right. um, then it's free for you to use. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. So. I'm, I'm honestly just being lazy about it, but I mean, yeah, I, I could do that. 
Well, hey, man, that's, hey, listen, there's no way you could do this successfully with being lazy about it. And I say that as a joke, but it's completely true. Like, there's no way to wing it and be successful unless it's a bull market and you're literally making money when every person you know is making money without any skill anyway. Right, right, right. right. So don't be lazy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for answering the question. No problem, Roy. Good talking to you, man. Take care. All right, day. Then we'll wrap it up. Hey, what's going on, Day? Hey, man. How is it going? Good. Um, yeah, um, nice. Uh, thanks for taking the call, first of all. Um, I have a question regarding CVD. Um, I know because I know that you use it. I'm asking because um, there's a lot of people that argue um, in regards to the reliability of CVD in itself. And that's mostly because people argue that the data on Binance is not reliable in itself. So what your take on that? And the second question, which is also on CVD, is that how do you interpret um, different kinds of divergences um, between spot and perps? So first things, yeah, Binance's CVD is, is largely different than a lot of other exchanges. And the quick answer to that is that's exactly why I monitor other exchanges such as Bybit and FTX as well. And, and Bybit, Bybit it was, at first it was like BitMEX and Bybit, but I think Bybit is, is probably the go-to um, because it has a, a really accurate CVD and, and you have that exchange by volume and by open interest is, is large enough to be deemed significant and you know a leading factor in the market or at least matches up with the rest of market behavior anyway because a lot of the exchanges are tied in through market makers and algos, period. Um, so yeah, Binance CVD is a little wonky, but if you look at it on like a session CVD, it actually is pretty accurate. Binance data mm-hmm. just kind of lags a little bit. Um, it's not like you don't get it, but it, it, it's possible that you might have a little bit of a late signal. If anything, I think it's kind of improved lately. So, um, maybe that's because they finally, uh, adjusted to what was clearly something on their end that was, um, uh, some kind of mistake maybe. But as far as setups go, I like when it comes to CVD divergences, I don't pay a whole lot to divergences between spot and perps. Um, I do see them like this morning, there was one at the high initially towards the, uh, for the first short that I took. Um, They have to really stand out because sometimes like the CVD, you know, there, there will be like noticeable divergences, but they're not extreme. So you'll notice that they don't really, they're not that actionable. CVD divergences for one, for, for the most part, always need to be extreme. Like it has to indicate that there's like a significant shift in lopsided positioning, whether that's the diver- the spot versus perp CVD being really off from each other, or whether it's like, you know, a case where you're looking at a trap setup or an absorption setup where one high is really you know, a lot higher than the other compared to price action or one low is a lot mm-hmm. lower compared to, you know, respective price action. Most of the time though, honestly, the spot CVD doesn't play a huge role in my trading. Uh, and it's like spot CVD is pretty skewed to begin with, because if you think about spot, there's only one type of seller in the spot market, right? So if you're looking at a spot exchange, there's only one seller. It's a seller to close the position. Whereas the futures market is different, right? You could send your BTC to a futures exchange, and you could open up a position, you could just sell to open, right? You could you could short the market. So you have different um, types of orders opening, whereas spot is more one-sided. Spot also is, you know, spot is 
it's going to be for the most part up only because it's going to have more buy pressure because the spot that's hooked up to a fiat on ramp. Well, the natural positioning in a market is to get long, right? Natural positioning mm -hmm. is to enter the market and get long. Most people don't come to a market to just short as their first positioning in the market. They get long at some point and then they send money to an exchange and then they open up a short. So you have to imagine how like these things skew CVD over the longer time frame. Most mm -hmm. of my trading, when it comes to integrating the CVD, when it's like using it over the span of like, the intraday structure or using it over the span of like a small range or a, or a small structure that's being painted is specifically just paying attention to the perp CVDs. And again, CVD on, on Binance alone is pretty wonky, but when you, when you have something like Bybit combined FTX, you get a more accurate representation either way. And, and at that point, like, unless this setup is really clear, um, the CVD is kind of just like the icing on top. Like, you yeah, know, yeah. sometimes it's a really, it's a really strong divergence and then, yeah, it's going to usually lead to a significant move, especially if you see like with that corresponding divergence, there's a big shift in open interest. You know, we had a couple of cases of this at lows during this range and in the range, uh, pre breakdown going back into first quarter where there was like a really big CVD divergence at the lows. And as that second leg, like, let's say was getting absorbed, like, let's say you made a low. And then price was attempting to make a lower low, but CVD made a lower low as that was happening. You know, you had a big increase in, you know, open interest corresponding to that. You know, that's, you know, those setups have been really actionable, but for me, I wasn't really yeah. looking at the spot CVD during that time. Um, it's always kind of like, to be honest, like I noticed the spot CVD in hindsight. It's like, oh yeah, well, while I was also looking at that setup, like I should have noticed that also the spot CVD was, you know, confirming the setup too. But I don't, you know, what I'm noticing, and this is just kind of like a gripe that I have, order flow has become really popular the last couple of years, like really popular, where almost, you know, a, a ton of traders who never used it are starting to use it now. And the thing that people do when they first get involved in trading, especially technically, is they want to use every tool. They want to go through every tool, every indicator, you know, try to find edge in anything they can. And, and yeah, no, no problem. That's awesome. Like you should try to find edge in any way that you can. But one thing I see with people with order flow is like, now there's all these platforms out where you could look at every exchange's order flow. You could look at, you know, AgriTrade and look at, uh, um, what's the other one? Spear Fisher or Hunter or Fisher. I don't know. Some other yeah. tape. And they break down every exchange's CVD and they're looking at every exchange's spot CVD and every exchange's, uh, like, everything is so broken down and atomized. I look at it and I know, I know, it, like, sure as shit that there's no way that they're doing themselves a favor by seeing all of that information. What they're really probably doing is adding too much noise to their process. You should really just, for the most part, some people you'll talk to and they'll say this as well. And I was doing this for a long time is you don't have to focus on every exchange because most of them are honestly going to be the same. The behavior in the exchange is going to be the same because you have a lot of bots that are tying together positioning across exchanges. You have a lot of market makers that are making markets across exchanges. And retail is kind of doing the same thing no matter what. If the market is moving up, you know, breaking through a level, you know, key resistance on Binance, you know, across the market, like people on Bybit are doing the same thing people on Binance are doing. So, there are cases where there's like idiosyncratic differences, but the there's no way that anyone who's just getting involved should start looking for those versus looking at things more broadly. So 
I, I think uh, that's just like one thing that I'd like to touch on because I, you know, a lot of new people that are like looking at every CBD, every spot exchange separated, and it's like, ah, no way, that's a bad idea. So, no, I usually just use the aggregate. That's Good. why I was asking if you just. I just usually just turn off the Binance one, um, but that was that would be actually my third question, um, because the Binance data is laggy. How much do you think it's actually laggy? And I mean, because I'm asking this because obviously Binance does huge volumes, so their data is would be significant, right? Um, so how much do you think it's laggy, and if it would actually be useful? Because in Agar, you're able to code, right? So if we, yeah. if we actually can calculate it somehow, how laggy it is, we would be actually be able to implement a script to fast forward that data. Yeah, I mean, you could make that attempt. I don't know if I'd be the right person to ask. I mean, I think that Binance's lag is probably just in terms of, of seconds. Um, it's not something that has honestly hurt my trading to try to whittle down, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's just yeah, something yeah. that I'm aware of. And, and sometimes, like I said, it seems more extreme than others. Uh, but I don't know if I would want to just apply a system to that and sort of standardize it and say like, oh, I'm going to speed something up by, you know, such and such amount of time. Because again, uh, you know, if you're paying attention to, to a flow, you're going to be, ideally, you're going to be trying to make sure that nothing is changing to begin with. So mm -hmm. I don't know if I'd want to set it up one way. I would just, you know, try to stay on top of it uh, you know, visually. Cool. Cool. So. All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate no problem. it. Good talking to you, man. Yep. You too. Take care. I mean, and just to clarify, like if anyone feels like they want to do anything that might improve their trading and, uh, when it comes to, like the programming side, and if you notice on your own, like, Hey, finance is consistently such and such amount behind, like, absolutely don't take my advice and not do something that might be helpful for you. Um, I just have noticed that it hasn't, it's never really been an issue for me because I'm also, like I said, I've always focused on Bybit. Like sometimes Bybit is really good for certain setups. Uh, for the most part, though, it still, you know, it still follows what the broader derivative market is doing. Most of the markets are pretty locked in, honestly. But I, I mean, I think one point is like you should absolutely always keep in mind larger picture positioning wise, what is taking place on the leading exchanges, which are FTX and Binance. So like the point of that is like, don't not have an eye on those, right? At least like a higher time frame view of open interest. That's probably adequate. Some understanding of Delta, you know, on each of those exchanges. Um, but I would just be careful just to reiterate my point. I'd be careful trying to like atomize it too much. But I see some people share screenshots of like what they're looking at. And I'm like, that I know you're like, I feel like I, I could say with confidence, like, I know you're not making money on that or rather that I know you're not making enough as much money as you could. If you simplified that down, um, you know, just the kiss method, right? Keep it simple, stupid. So, but, uh, we're over the time right now. I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, I appreciate you guys for joining in. Make sure you subscribe to this show. I didn't notice the last ones I was posting weren't under the show category. So uh, make sure you subscribe to the show, subscribe to my profile, and we will hop on again on Thursday. Till then, have a fantastic Tuesday and Wednesday. Take care.